2: from MMA Fighting Studios. This is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck, The
4: iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of BTL on another Thursday. A lot to unpack from this past weekend, some incredible performances, some questions about the future. Heavy hitters in the combat sports world reacting to some news. The UFC heavyweight champion claps back some news and notes. And oh, yeah, there is a UFC event this weekend as well, which will serve as the go home show for UFC 296, a loaded pay-per-view card. We'll talk about that more next week, but lots to talk about on today's program. Let us introduce the combatants, a highly anticipated rematch, a highly requested crossover episode and we are delivering here so here we go first let us introduce mr hot take mr no gray area one half of the no bets bar duo the man behind dan they were good he's from mmafighting.com and is officially announced he's on the board of directors for the mike bobo fan club mr jed mishu hello sir
3: why are you going to start us out like that, Mike? I'm, I'm I'm in a great mood every day, and then you and Shaheen and Jose and everybody else is just coming from my throat. This is nonsense. We're a team. We're supposed to be a team, Mike. This is ridiculous. <laughs>
4: oh. oh, my gosh. What is this, Jed? Se- the 76th appearance on the show, not counting the, the podcast <laughs> episodes and the one we just shoot the we breeze on? We were talking
3: on? off air it's got to be a hundred just like if you count the just podcast steps and the episode i hosted we've been here for some time i this might be my last mike if you keep introing me like that Well, it is my
4: job to try to pop you with every single intro. That's what we try to do. And his opponent, what a treat this is, friends. He's back on the show, back once again on the MMA Fighting Network. A man just killing it, winning award after award after award with his morning combat co-host, Brian Campbell. Take cover, donks. He's back on BTL this week. The great Luke Thomas. Luke, how are you, sir? It's great to see you. Thank you for being here.
5: I woke up at 4.45 for an interview this morning with an MMA fighter, and they canceled at 5. I just want everyone to know that I'm tired and I'm pissed off. Hi, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, tired and pissed off is a tremendous
4: combination for this year program. <laughs> so with that being said, let's get right into this thing. <clears throat> this past Saturday, gentlemen, we had... Two pretty crazy cards that were on the MMA fans' radars and both delivered in their own respective ways. UFC Austin was nuts, and it was capped up by Armin Sarukian running over Benil Dariush in 64 seconds. And then you go to Salt Lake City... BKFC 56, which is everything you expected it to be. The main events on Mike Perry, corner stoppage TKO win over Eddie Alvarez. After round two, Perry just did so much damage. There were multiple orbital fractures suffered by Alvarez, but that fight was freaking crazy until it ended. So, Luke, let's start with Armin Sarukian. He was a pretty big favorite heading in. A lot of people thought the betting line may have been too wide, maybe some disrespect to Benil Darius. Turns out, maybe it wasn't wide enough, but Sarukian comes in, delivers in a big way, your biggest takeaway from the biggest win of his career.
5: Um, biggest takeaway of Armin Saryukian is that he might really be the first of this kind of new generation of lightweight, vaguely from, uh, you know, parts of Russia, you know, uh, former Soviet satellite states, right? Armenia, Azerbaijan, Dagestan, uh, and more Georgia as well one of those first guys at this weight class to really break through. There's been some fits and starts. We kind of all thought that when they got here, they were like tailor-made to take over. And, of course, they've done really well, but there hasn't really exactly been that breakthrough. Fazeev got pretty close against Gaethje until he fell apart. And, of course, there's been some other ones who I've had really high hopes for, like Demiris Mugulov who kind of fell off as well. So you can looks like he's about to break through. 27 years of age, he beats Benil Deriyush. I do think it is fair to bring up... Dariusha's age. First time he got stopped back to back. That's never happened before. All of that is new. All of that is a way in which I think to properly contextualize the value of the victory. But my biggest takeaway is Saryukian is the guy in that pack of new generation of lightweights who appears to be most poised to break through. And I suspect he eventually will.
4: Jed, we've had some time to digest this since Saturday. We heard from Armin on the MMA Hour this week talking about the win. What have you taken away the most from this victory and the fallout since Saturday?
3: Yeah, looks not wrong. He's he's the next guy, right? We've we've been talking for a couple of years about this crop of emerging lightweights. Uh, I mean, hell, in the post-fight show, I kind of listed out the eight or nine like pretty good lightweights to great lightweights who are under the age of 30 you know it's it's and it's grant dawson it's Jalen turner uh tafel Faziv, like that whole core chunk of people and it it appears that surukyan has has pulled the head which i you certainly thought early on that he would do i think a lot of us thought he probably had the biggest pause of any of these puppies coming up and he's he's right there now what does that mean Means he's still two fights away from a belt, probably because lightweight is an impossible weight class. That upward mobility is almost not a a thing that can even happen. And so now we're in this situation where, like, yeah, Saruki, and he's a top five lightweight. Uh, He's top five in the UFC's rankings this week. I suspect when we do our update, he will kind of unilaterally move into that spot as well. But where does he go from here? How does he get from, you know, five to belt? It's still, it's at least one fight away. Like he is not fighting for the belt next. And it might even be two based on kind of a backlog of contenders and sort of how things are going to break out. So I think he is clearly in front of the pack of the new generation, but the pack is going to have time to catch up because I don't think he's going to get to run into the lead and finish this race as it were.
4: Chad? We're, like you both have mentioned, we're in this weird lightweighty spot for Sarukin because while others have gotten their chance to make this big move up the rankings like Luke talked about and shake things up a bit, Fazee fell short against Gaethje, Gamrot fell short against Dariush in October of last year, Sarukin gets the top five guy and delivers the goods, so he's kind of in rarefied air at 155 right now because we've been talking about who's going to be the guy to emerge, we finally have a guy who has emerged, so What would you like to see next for Sarukian? I mean, he called out Justin Gaethje. I'd be frigging stunned if that happened. But what would you like to see? And I guess maybe the more important question is here. What do you think will actually happen?
3: So these are not going to be the same thing. Also, shout out to my boy, Matush Gamrat, who a year ago, you know, whether you agree with the decision or not, officially got the dubs over Sarukian and is now behind him in the rankings because this game is impossible. So, what I would like to see happen is what is the obvious and reasonable course of action? Armand Sarukian fights Charles Oliveira in a no doubt about it, bulletproof, locked in number one contender fight. It makes the most sense in the world. Oliveira, former champion, rebounded with a great win over Dariush. You should have to win multiple fights to get back to a title particularly when the way you lose it is to be so thoroughly outclassed the fight between him and Islam I'm not saying it go the same I I am saying that it will go the same every time those two men fight. I'm not saying it will go the same, but what I am saying is that Charles Oliveira had absolute donkey nothing for him. And so he should have to win more than one fight to get back into the ring with the current champion. Now, if that changes, if if Gaethje wins, we could re-talk about it, but... What should happen is Gaethje gets his day in court against Izlamakachev. Oliver and Sarukian fight, maybe even as the, you know, the undercard, the the co main event to that for the no doubt about it number one contender. That is very obvious. Probably not going to happen. For whatever reason, the UFC seems dead intent to get Charles Oliveira some more brain damage. They appear like they are going to run that back. Justin Gaethje is simply not going to take that fight. He has earned his shot. He will sit and wait, which means Sarukin is going to have to compete against somebody. My best guess, they run it back with Gamrot. Um, contentious fight, great fight. What was one of my favorite fights of last year. I think I had him in my top five. And there's not a lot of other fights that make sense because – I know Sarukian said he would fight Dustin Poirier, despite the fact that they both trained at ATT. He was also pretty clear that he didn't want to do that. And I don't think Dustin Poirier would have any interest in doing that. So there's just not a lot of avenues available for him here, particularly like maybe Faziv could have made sense, but he's out with the injury. I think they probably just run back Gamrot sometime early next year. And unfortunately, Sarukian's left spinning his wheels for some time.
4: Luke, what do you think? What would you like to see? And what do you think will actually happen?
5: See, this is where like the would and the should really diverge pretty big time. Because let's start with what, what should happen, what I would prefer to see. Uh, if you're Justin Gaethje, obviously I agree with with Jed that he's earned a title shot. I don't know if he'll get it, but I certainly understand he's in pole position for it or pretty close to it, right? Having this win, uh, becoming the BMF, you know, stopping. Um, well, first of all, turning the tide against Fazev, and then backing that up by head kicking Dustin Poirier. I mean, you know, these are these are very big, very important, very good, hard fought wins. I, I wouldn't be at all opposed to him getting a title shot. But I mean, if you're Islam Makhachev. You know, it's an interesting kind of question here, right? If, for example, Justin gaethje if you feed him to Islam Makachev, it's a really kind of a bad matchup for him. Obviously, he can win on the feet, but on the ground, you'd imagine he might get overwhelmed. It's a fresh matchup, so they might go in that direction anyway. But I think they also might want to keep BMF and the full title a little bit separate because once they become connected, it's going to be hard to undo them. So that's a weird one. So if he's not going to fight, who is? probably Oliveira gets fed back in, although he obviously made the promotion a little bit upset and not go following through on the Fight Island stuff. So it gets kind of weird. But if you're Saryukian, like, what would I like to see? Yeah, I would like to see Saryukian fight Charles Oliveira. I mean, I don't think... I, this is one of the very best fights you could make in that division. For, let's be clear about something. Benil Dariush is a skilled competitor. That win over Mateusz Gamrod is just really, really hard-nosed stuff. When people say Dariush is overrated, I agree he's had these epic moments of collapse. Those, The Hernandez fight, the, the Barboza fight. You can go back to the Chiesa fight to an extent. He does have them, but he also has like really well-rounded skill, and that fight was a great showcase of it. He can do good things, but he did lose back-to-back for the first time. His hair is visibly. Almost the color of mine. I can tell you, folks, if I have one too many old fashions, I wake up and my back hurts and I shit all day. I can imagine, you know, he's probably not too far from something like that. Right. He's just you're getting older. It's absolutely unforgiving. And so while I do think that beating him is is insanely valuable and does show a lot, it's a whole different can of worms with Charles Oliveira, right? Because again, you go back to the Gaethje equation, he could fight Armin Saryukian, but it's another situation where there's probably going to be a big disparity in the ground. No. If you really want to see if Saryukian's ready to move, if you really want to see what he's made of, Charles Oliveira is about as good of a test as he's going to get offense all the time, everywhere, sometimes recklessly, although I think he's tied that, uh, or I should say he's uh, he's cut back on that a, a little bit. I think he's been a little bit sharper um, in his most recent performance for whatever that is worth. So that's what I would like to see. Saryukin versus Oliveira, winner of that gets a title shot, no question in my mind. Um, what will happen, I don't think they'll go that direction. The Gamrot one though, I just don't buy that either. That fight was phenomenal, but I don't see why Saryukin would take it. he well, he wouldn't, he would want to stay busy. I suspect there'll be some other stay busy fights he'd rather take. Um, I don't think that one's going to happen either.
3: Well, come on. You can't just say there are other stay busy fights. Give us something, Luke. (laughs) Stand on the corner. Plant a flag.
5: so, for example, I don't know if the UFC would go this direction, and personally, I would rather see it, but Jalen Turner versus Armin Saryukian sounds like a shit ton of fun to me as well. I don't know what you yeah. might say. Oh, we just saw that with the yeah. Gamrot fight. But I think Gamrot and oh, Saryukian have language. meaningfully different games. Listen, I don't want this either. I want this fucking guy fighting the people ranked above him. But I'm just saying, what well, if you're that? Saryukian, would you rather run it back with a dude who can probably match you in the wrestling or somebody who probably cannot at all? It, this is a very simple equation. I would love Jalen Turner's my boy. I would love that, (laughs) dude. Jalen Turner's the man. I got nothing against him and he's a legit knockout threat. Like he can fuck everybody up. Like I love, I love what he's capable of. I'm just saying if I'm Saryukian and I'm trying to figure out, how do I not fuck up what I've already earned? I do not want to run it back with Gamrot. Like that's a fucking really tough, difficult fight under hard to prove I won circumstances, you know?
3: Well, I don't think they'll even give Jalen Turner that. That feels like a bump for Turner though. I don't know. I yeah, don't know what's gonna not. happen with Armand Sarukian is the thing. Like it was a great win that gets him almost nowhere.
5: Yeah. It just it bumped him up in the rankings. It put him in that place where like his name is now next to those names. But you're right, like in terms of like, oh, that's the fight it sets up. It's not like a 296 where you've got the main event, Leon and Colby. And then I don't know if it's no, because the co-main yeah. is the flyweight. but right under that is Shavkot. And fucking Wonder Boy, it's like, gee, I wonder who Shavkat's going to fight if he wins. It's a huge fucking mystery. You know who he's going to fight—the winner of that one. That's what I'm talking about.
3: Ah, oh, poor Bilal. Yeah. Poor Bilal. It, it's an, its a. Oh well, that sucks for Bilal. <laughs> this is one of those wins where Armand did enough to now people will fight him, but the people who will choose to fight him are the guys behind him, like. Whereas previously yeah. no one wanted to fight him. Now it's like, hell yeah, he's got a number. I'll try and get him. But that's not helping his mission statement. It's tough scenes, buddy. Lightweight. Hard division to make hay in.
4: It really is. Uh, it's also very hard to make hay in the world of bare knuckle fighting championships. Uh, Mike Perry, Luke Thomas, was born for this bare knuckle shit. Dude is just a savage in there. His ability to absorb damage in almost... Like it to some extent and then deliver incredible damage of his own is just unbelievable. He gets another win. But as great as the Mike Perry BKFC run has been, Luke, we're kind of starting to run out of names here. And while money talks and BKFC seems to have that triller money that is chucking around to people, there's probably a lot of fighters with pretty big names that aren't doing much right now who are watching Mike Perry fight without gloves and thinking, yeah, I don't know if I want to do that with that guy. So your reaction to Mike Perry's latest BKF showing against Eddie Alvarez and what could be next for him? Like who would actually take that fight? What would be interesting to you?
5: Yeah. I mean, I I, I think it should be said, you know, I was looking up like the history of bare knuckle boxing and obviously it goes back to the 17th century. It was initially called off in the end of the 19th century, I think 1889, then brought back in England in 2015 and then in this country in 2018. Well, let's just be very clear about this dude. Since 2018, Mike Perry is by far the biggest breakout star that that sport has produced. Like it's not even really a close second. And you might be like, well, is he the best guy that it's produced? I mean, that's somewhat debatable, but like Luis Palomino, and I think Lorenzo hunt both at different times became double champions and they don't have the name value that he does. This guy has been a revelation and folks would be like, Oh, it's because he's durable. He's durable. He's durable as shit, but he's, Dude, he's he's like Florida man as the best fighter you've ever version you've ever seen. Like he not only is tough as shit, he is absolutely undeterred by difficult circumstances and the psychological makeup he has about I don't I don't have to rely on my athleticism in this place. I you know, I'm sure he's well trained or whatever, but in this place, I can just rely on who I naturally am and where I come from and what I've. Sort of been bred to do. It's it's like though it's like a hand-in-glove kind of fit. So I don't think his success is accidental. And also obviously he's not going there post-prime, he's going there exactly prime. And the results speak for himself. I mean, one thing they could kind of figure out is PFL could potentially do a deal. They talk a lot about co-promotion. Bellator. Putting the MVP and Mike Perry fight together was kind of interesting. I don't know what it would require in order to make a deal like that possible. But if they're they, if they're willing to co-promote, you've got some interesting names around the sort of 165-ish, 175-ish area that you could pick up on. A bigger lightweight or obviously a, a welterweight in those stables. There's some fun ones you could pull from there. Short of that, I think you should just listen to what Mike Perry says. Mike Perry wants to fight Jorge Masvidal. Yeah, I think that probably makes a lot of sense for Mike. I think that probably makes a lot of sense... For consumers, I don't know exactly what kind of fight you're going to get out of that in 2023 slash 24. I don't know if it's the best kind of fight, but, um, you know, you you haven't necessarily been getting some of that with Mike either. I mean, he's beaten real names. Make no mistake about it. MVP was great. Had to go to overtime. Eddie Alvarez, the underground king. Obviously, Luke Rockhold, the guy was a fucking champion at 185 pounds of two different organizations in MMA. Like these are phenomenal wins he's putting together. But it's not again, it's not exactly like I think uh, Luis Palomino is double digit undefeated defeated in bare knuckle like he's really putting together a pretty incredible run even into his 40s he's doing this so to me you go to the jorge masvidal route sell out on that one see if you can't get it if not i think it's time to to call up some people's matchmakers and see if there are or the promoters and see if they're willing to co-promote
4: Jed, what do you, what do you think? Uh, Luis Palomino, he's a trier, man. He spent that week trying to get a big fight and just got no-sold by everybody. It was uh, it was kind of a rough week for him, but he's also got a big fight coming up uh, in February, which is pretty cool. But what do we do with Mike Perry now? I mean, Darren Till has been a name that's been floating around for a while, but Darren's talked about the bare-knuckle world. mazadal has been doing bare-knuckle forever, but he's probably still under UFC contract. So... You probably need permission to do that. There are some other interesting names that were mentioned when you guys did that roundtable, but let's say Dave Feldman calls you right now. What are you telling him?
3: So uh, I get everything that Luke said. He just couldn't be more wrong. Um, <laughs> shout out to Luis Palomino. He, boy, he was trying. He was out there just willing to get dunked on. He made zero business decisions, just walked into the line of fire and got peppered every time. Uh, and I'd reward him because th- that's the fight. I, it is not the biggest name. I understand the Hori monster call out. I think that is the thing that I think most people would have said. Maybe Darren Till because there's been John there. And that is certainly the broadest you know audience. And that's what Mike Perry's after. I get it. I don't give a shit what Mike Perry's after. I'm in this for me. I want my Christmas present. And my Christmas present is these two dudes being violent as – f right like because here's the thing for what mike perry's been as luke said you know he fought some big names has some big performances by mike perry's own words at the end of the eddie alvarez i was a little disappointed i thought he could hang in there for a little bit longer that's what i wanted he's fighting dudes who are very new to this and so is he and so there's that but he obviously is so well positioned here i don't I, I want to see him fight dudes who are going to be able to take the punishment, give it back, to have this long, drawn-out competitive battle. Arguably, the most fun fight or the the most competitive fight he had was the Julian Lane fight, which is you know Julian Lane has a little bit more experience here. Give me Luis Palomino, like because if Mike Perry is battle-tested and built for this shit. Boy, Luis Palomino is for real. He is nine and zero in this double champ, and it's not like he's some dude who you know came to this with nothing. He was doing this shit in MMA. His wars with Justin Gaethje are like some of the most the most legendary things WSOF did, right? Like that is the the thing I think of when I think of WSOF is those fights, and then uh, Justin Gaethje just in general. I'm like that's that's good company to be in. I. This is not the most marketable thing. Not here to say it. This is for the real heads. We did one for them. It's time to do one for us. Give me Mike Perry versus Luis Palomino, and I will pay $50 to watch that any day of the week, and so will every degenerate scumbag you know who watches this program and loves hardcore violence.
5: Let's see if it happens. I have to say, I have to say, I mean, don't get me wrong. I would like to see that fight. I would like to see that fight. I would like to see that fight. And here's the problem that Mike's got, right? I mean, for everything that's going well, here's the problem. He's in a sport where there's not a lot of names, right? And that's, you know, uh, and and many of the ones they can get are, are are over the hill. And so what, you know, relatively speaking anyway. And so what he's trying to do is like, for example, he was the backup for the Logan Paul, Dylan Dennis thing. I mean, you asked me who I'd like to see him fight. I'd like to see him ice Dylan Dennis at some point. I mean, wouldn't that be just the joy of all joys? I like say Mardi Gras came <laughs> earlier or some shit. Um, but in all seriousness, here's the problem. Like just being, in, just being absolutely real about Dylan or Logan or any of those guys. Dude, Mike Perry is a, like... It would be fucking illegal if mike perry fought them like he's so far beyond what they could physically tolerate or even be worthy of trying to negotiate with it's just no he's a terrible like like again worrisomely bad matchup for them so he's in this space where it's like who the fuck can i fight it's all the leftover names a la bellator style that gets you the biggest paycheck so what like jed is pointing out is hey wouldn't the baboon fight luis palomino that's his nickname wouldn't that go wouldn't that go much better and be much, much, much more interesting? Yeah, but, like, that's exactly the opposite of what Mike said he was looking for in the next one. So I don't know what he's going to – and by the way, he's, he's got a lot of leverage, relatively speaking, for a BKFC guy. You know, the promoter can't, like, you know, force him to really, like, you know, do a fight he doesn't necessarily want to do. But if he doesn't have options, well, we shall see.
4: Yeah. Mike Perry story in BMC is unbelievable. It's freaking unbelievable. But uh, let us move on. Let's give away the first point. And it goes to... <laughs> I mean, just incredibly close round. But, you know, Luke peeling back the curtain and being honest about the old-fashioned nights and the back pain and whatever else yeah. happens the rest of the day, he 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 nudges it out. I got to give it to him. One point for Luke Thomas.
5: He's on the board. Yay. Honestly, do you know? Do you, can I tell you a true story? Can I tell you a true story? Yes, please. Dude, I so do you guys know who Knees Over Toes guy is? I feel Have you like heard of I him? could
3: guess, but no.
5: So he's this dude, uh, I think his name is like Ben something, but he's this dude who basically invented the style of working out where it's like both strength training and full range of motion while bulletproofing your knees, bulletproofing your shoulders. And he's like, I could never dunk in my twenties and now I'm 40 and I can dunk like a motherfucker and you can see him do it. And he does all these like crazy split squats and stuff. Uh, I had to hire one of his lieutenant lieutenants to fix my, fix my fucked up body. Cause it's so shitty. And he told me the only dude he's had whose body was more wrecked than mine was a car crash victim. So, enjoy your Thursday, boys and girls. <laughs> it was a car crash victim.
3: <laughs> you know what, given the point for that, we're okay.
4: Yeah, I mean, you already got the point. If I could give you two, I would, but that's
0: against the rules, but... Uh... The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA.
2: that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com.
4: Look, as exciting as Armin Sarukian was and as exciting as Mike Perry was, Nothing is more exciting than the PFL acquiring Bellator, right? And we actually got a very rare Dana White post-fight night press conference on Saturday after UFC Austin, and he has spoken about that deal when it was just kind of in the rumors phase. But this is the first time Dana spoke about it since the deal was done. And here is what he said. Quote, "It's fucking hilarious. Good for them. I wish them all the luck in the world." Then he did the whole ask the reporter the question right back thing a couple of times, and then he opened his eyes wide, turned a little red, and said, I've covered this before. Maybe you weren't here for this. One shitty organization that sells no tickets and nobody watches buys another shitty organization that sells no tickets and nobody watches. Sounds like a fucking winner to me. Woo! Did the woo, like Ric Flair. And of course, Jed, Don Davis reacts to that, and we'll get into that in a moment, but... Focusing on Dana White and what he said and how he said it, he actually got a little fired up there. And he's got the PFL hat on too, but you don't see right. that too often from Dana when it comes to talking about the UFC and potential competition. But what did you make of those comments from the UFC CEO?
3: He's very shook by the future co leader in the space, <laughs> obviously. I mean, We've talked about this on so many shows since Don Davis should probably just not be given microphones (laughs) because forever now you just set this up to happen. Like he, Dana may or may not have been that kind of brutal uh, in his response anyway, but I'm willing to bet that a little bit of extra juice came because Don Davis was like, we're going to be co-leaders where you know we're th- this is who we are in four to five years it's gonna be a b and it has just never worked and so uh ton should have not said that but Dave is not scared because what the hell's he scared of like let's let's we we're all honest like everyone knows the score here the ufc is in a class by themselves it's they aren't playing the same sport as other promoters are. This isn't chess to checkers. This is, I genuinely don't know, some future game of chess with eight dimensions. They are so far ahead of the curve here. And unless this lawsuit comes back and, like, really reins them in... uh there's nothing like they have nothing to be concerned about and again dana won't be concerned about the pfl (laughs) he the only thing dana white has to be concerned about at all is that lawsuit which doesn't appear to be going hot for them by the way but it's not don davis and look i i don't like to call i don't like to say that dana white is right spot the lie man like those are two companies that don't make money. One of them got acquired for free. That's the key thing. I'm not. It was a good choice by PFL, but they paid for Bellator in Monopoly money. They gave them stock in a company that is worth nothing. Like it is, they paid for it in fictional dollar bills and got twenty cents on the dollar. Like there's, he's absolutely right, and it's unfortunate because you know, rep my boys. Let's go PFL all day. But uh yeah, Dana, Dana's got the got the gist of this one pretty well.
5: Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't say it too, too often, but uh Dana White's like his his mocking of it is uh he's I mean he's on the money with it. I mean, not to say that you have to like love the mockery, but is he gonna regret it? Folks, let's just be very clear about something, right? Just state it what just state the facts what they are. Short of federal intervention in the form of Congress passing laws and or this fighter lawsuit succeeding either through settlement and changing, like when they get injunctive relief, where they can actually change the contracts. Any kind of monetary damages don't mean shit, right? So we're just talking about whether they can change the contracts. In other words, unless some arm either legislative or judicial of the government intervenes, it is not possible to compete with the UFC. It's not possible. It cannot be done. I have seen it over and over and over and over again. You cannot in a separate garden grow your own version of here's our fight league, here's our guys. And we're going to be just as good, and we're going to have a great TV deal, and we're going to have a lot of venture capital, and now at this point, you know, uh, overseas, um, Saudi money or whatever the case, and we're just going to be just as good, and the and the public will accept this. No, they will not. You will fail. It is destined to fail. Is it better that PFL and Bellator are together, at least in theory? Yes, it is much better. It does make them a stronger organization. But this idea that it can in any way meaningfully challenge—I mean, folks. It's not magic why the UFC is making so much money. It's monopoly. It's like it's we un, we get it. We, how 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 does this happen? That is how it happens. And so if unless you can alter that structure, you ain't gonna do shit. Also, let's just be very clear about this. PFL. Let's see what happens with them in twenty twenty four. Bellator never had an, a fan base. Like let's just be very clear about that. It did not have a fan. It didn't have a fan base by the time it showed up. Uh, Dude, it didn't have a fan base by the time it was at the end of its run at Paramount Network, much less everything else that happened after that. So what are you buying with that? You can buy the roster and use it. They're going to use it to farm out some other kind of uh, rights fees deal. And it's like, let me get this straight. Bellator didn't do great ratings on Paramount. It didn't do great ratings on CBS Sports Network. It didn't do great ratings on Showtime. And now it's going to do great ratings where? What the fuck are we doing? Like the whole thing is just so jumbled and messed up to say nothing of the market structures. Yeah, if I was Dana, I wouldn't be too worried either, but for what happens in that courtroom.
4: Now, Luke. Co-leaders. Don. Yes. Uh, speaking <laughs> of co-leaders, uh, Don Davis, going back to him, while he is certainly a well-spoken and charismatic guy, successful businessman over the years, resume is kind of impressive. He's helped make some deals for the PFL, but he has also been a guy who has gotten posterized on the show more than once for things that he has said or graphics that he has posted on social media that are absolutely freaking ridiculous. And he has made a lot of promises. 80% Asian. Few, oh my God. And very few of these promises have it's come to fruition. Fingers. But Ty will tell. He, of course, reacted to what Dana had to say. And we have to remember what you guys have both brought up that Don Davis and his co-leader comments that Dana White is worried because of the Bellator acquisition. Don Davis hit the old Twitter world, posted a graph with a quote, Luke Thomas from Gandhi saying, first they ignore you. Then they laugh at
3: you. It's so good. Then
4: they fight you. Then you win. And then also saying essentially, Hey, step two, check that thing off. We are one more step from being the official co-leader Luke, how do you grade Don's reaction here? Gandhi. Gandhi. Uh,
5: Yeah, I mean, I wish I had more hands. I'd give that post four thumbs down. I mean, fucking just the worst, just the absolute worst. I mean, dude, here's – you want to know the difference between the guys who run PFL and Dana White? And this is true. Like you mentioned, like they have, I don't know where they went to college, but I'm sure they went to some someplace re- reasonably prestigious and, you know, everything they've done after that, they've been C-suite executives in the whole nine yards. And I'm sure that they are all the things that their resume says that they are, right? I'm not in any way child. Don
3: Davis me. went to Miami of Ohio, by the way.
5: Okay. Well, he's him and Roethlisberger were out there just <laughs> doing God knows what, but, <laughs> but in, in any case, they have been successful as businessmen uh, after their post-secondary careers were, were over. And uh, I take that seriously. I don't think that that's any kind of joke. But like, what they're not are, and you can just tell, they're not lifelong fight fans. They're not people who've been around the fight game a tremendous amount of time. They're not people who quite understand what makes it tick. Dude, Dana White is the opposite of those guys, right? For better, for worse. Aaron Bronsoner asked him during the pandemic what his favorite book was, and he was like, "I don't like books. I don't read." And yet. Uh, He has been more successful than them in the business world. And you can say whatever else you want about Dana White. You can say whatever else you want. But the reality is he has been a fight fan probably as long as he's been walking. Um, and he can't fake that one way or the other. You can just tell he's got fight sensibilities that drives decision making that is much more rooted in the reality of how this business functions versus the, these guys who are like you know well trained in the business world but don't seem to really understand this world. And the results speak for themselves. The social media post is just like the 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 result of this like yawning gap between um, you know, having these fight sensibilities and then understanding their, their current market position. So I, I appreciate his, uh, you know, you ever seen those people who post on Instagram, it's like, you know, wake up and smile. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. You're like, shut the fuck up. You know, he's got, (laughs) he's got, he's got that kind of, you know, very smiley barista energy, which some people like, but it it ain't going to fix his business issues.
4: Boy, did uh did Bob Davis come back in this round with Dana White, didn't he, Jed? I mean, look, it's your boy. That's your boy right there. I mean, what, what did you make of that it's retort? Did, Dan, like, did, he, did he win the round with that one, quoting Gandhi?
3: I don't know what Luke is talking about because nothing screams since <laughs> oh, I don't. Nothing screams fight sensibilities, like quoting Gandhi poorly. <laughs> this is the best. I I lied earlier when I said Don Davis shouldn't be given a microphone or a platform. He's the funniest thing going in this sport right now. The 80% Asian graphic, we have laughed about that for most of the year. Quoting Gandhi is so just so unbelievable, particularly when if like, even if you want to take this quote at face value, they ignore you, they laugh at you, they fight you. Don, it's it's not the first two things that are the problem. It's when the UFC decides to fight you that you're fucked. (laughs) So like, it's, it's just incredible. Uh, he keeps, he keeps talking through it though. And that's what you got to love about Don Davis. He has that sort of Chris Tucker in rush hour energy of being just dead wrong. And that's not going to stop him from speaking whatsoever. That's great. Cause that's, that's the energy I aspire to bring to my own life as well. So uh, he got dunked on all over the place, but. It's fine. He'll just – he'll get up. He'll keep doing it again with his very next tweet, which is that, as I'm looking at it, PFL is innovating and growing MMA. PFL Europe is a great example because, as we all know, doing regional MMA is an innovation. Nobody has done this before (laughs) or since, Uh, particularly regional MMA that ostensibly your biggest market for consumption, the United States, cannot watch. There is no way for us to watch this PFL Europe card this weekend. Don Davis, you're a freaking hero, man. I love you.
5: Wow. <laughs> it's the round Bro, of year. Bro, dude, 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 on that pay-per-view, as so soon as it was, it was over, right, like they're wrapping up, you know, and they're like, oh, thanks for watching, blah, blah, blah. And then they show these graphics, and one of the graphics they showed were the three fastest strikes thrown that <laughs> night. I think one was 24 and two were 23. I'm like – Dude, you literally could show me the exchange rate between like the Colombian peso and whatever the fucking currency is in like Equatorial Guinea, and it would literally be more valuable to me as like an actual source of information that like I could potentially use at some point, then literally the the less than worthless, how fast was this uppercut going? Which by the way, less than the speed of a fucking school zone. What am I supposed to do with any of this information? Like, you know what I mean? Like a shark has like a big bite, you can measure it and shit. It's like this went 23 miles an hour. What the fuck does that mean, Don? What does that mean? I, I love that you're here because
3: I've complained about this for like a year. You can't do punch speeds in MPH because 20 miles an hour looks bad. It's sick when you do it for pitching because 100-mile-an-hour fastball, like that seems impressive to us, and it is impressive. But like I, it's it's great. It's great. We're rooting for you, PFL. I mean, come on. Come on. Also make it like- interesting. Also, just reasonably, one, with their stats, and I actually argued this specifically to them when I spoke to several other people, you could just make up things like there is, there is no body that is, is overseeing you to make sure you aren't lying about the stats you're putting out there. No one gives a shit. And like force is pretty easy. It's mass times acceleration. So theoretically, if you have speed, you should be able to figure out how to be like, here's a force comp that they could put up there instead as a more digestible bit of info. But you know that's that's next season they're they're still innovating (laughs) got things to do guys
4: ah well speaking of twitter and innovation uh john jones returned to twitter and he had some things to say about one tommy aspinall that's where we're going in round three point for round two goes to jed you gotta dig yourself out of a hole two nothing luke wow the four four thumbs down was incredible (laughs) was excellent. Don't don't worry. Just quoting
5: Gandhi. It's like, dude, do you think MMA fans either know or care who Gandhi is? Here's the answer. No. No.
3: Surely they have heard the name.
5: I I honestly, maybe, but 50-50. They have to have heard the name. Well, Could they pick him out of
3: a lineup? Probably not. No. Well,
4: they know who John Jones is, and that's who we're talking about now because we've heard from Tommy Aspinall ever since he won the interim title at MSG when he finished Sergey Pavlovich very quickly in on super short notice. And now the hardcore fan base they want to see Tom Aspinall get his shot against John Jones. Dana White doesn't seem all that interested in it. We'll get there in a second, but John Jones heads to Twitter and says some things. We were wondering what he was feeling about this whole situation. Tom Aspinall had said in some interviews that John should be stripped of the belt because this is how it works. This is how it's been working in the UFC. Uh, but obviously, John's at a different tier. And here's what John had to say. Let me pull it up. Uh, I faced the absolute toughest competition this world has had to offer for 15 years now. During camp for a title defense, I sustained a major injury that required surgery for the first time in my career. Now I have newcomers requesting I get my championship stripped. Zero wins over legends, zero title defenses, and I already thinking you can call the shots to Dana. That is hilarious. Luke, your response to John Jones? sort of breaking his social media silence and kind of clapping back a little bit at Tom Aspinall.
5: Man, come on y'all. I mean, this is, I just, it's so amazing to me. Like, you know what the most persuasive argument is in MMA, like the most persuasive power, doesn't even matter what you say after that. However, however powerful you are, everyone around is going to go, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you could be saying absolutely nothing of any truth value whatsoever. But if you're powerful, it just steamrolls all of the considerations around truth and everything else. Listen, do they have to strip John Jones? No, they don't have to. They don't have to do that at all. They can keep it on him. If they want to. But what you can't do is both not strip John Jones and then also not give the interim champ an opportunity at unification, which is exactly where we're headed. I know there's gonna be some fucking idiot out there who looks at this and goes, Hey, but the winner of John and Miocic. Uh, can fight Aspinall. Like, like like that's going to happen. Like they're both going to retire. Both of their camps could not be more clear about this. Like the, they don't want much more of this. By the way, if you were, John, just rationally, would you want to fight Tom Aspinall? I mean, I get that there is some glory for it, but the, the risk reward ratio is a little bit skewed once you get to that level of the heavyweights. So the chances of that happening are minimal. I, I don't understand the point of creating an architecture for interim championships while also not doing the point of interim championships, which is we can use this to not strip the champion on the premise that there is a resolution to this conflict when the champion in recess can return. They're just not going to do either of them, and it's all in service. Like, this whole argument really just comes down to what do you think of John Jones versus Stipe Miocic? Dude, I don't think much about it. I think the talking point between the best ever versus the best heavyweight ever is just that. It's a talking point that doesn't match the reality. John probably is the best heavy or best fighter I've ever seen. And, and, and Stipe's resume, whether you want to call him the heavyweight GOAT or UFC heavyweight, certainly the guy has done an incredible amount and has had enormous success. I'm not discounting any of that. But did you guys see Stipe walk out to the octagon at the last UFC? Oh my God, man. The guy's like what 41, 42? He was walking bow legged like Cornelius from Planet of the Apes. Did you see that? My man, my man could barely function in his hips. It was it was like he's like he's so far past all of that at this point. And then John, obviously this injury's not great. I don't wish that on him on him and you know, hope he gets back and everything, whatever. But like, dude. You, this this guy past forty, who's been semi-retired since losing to Ngannou. By the way, go back and watch that second Ngannou fight. Ngannou like murks him, not just at the end, but through the whole course of that fight. Like we're holding all of this up for that? It just doesn't. It just doesn't pass basic scrutiny. No, you don't have to strip John Jones, but you can't do that and then not allow Aspinall or whoever he ends up fighting in the down between to unify at the end. You got to pick one. Do that.
4: Jed, you are—you've uh, been talking about this a little bit. You've been pretty steadfast in your take about a potential John Jones versus Tom Aspinall fight. You could see it—the Woody Page of BTL—been calling you that since like the second time you were on. And here we go. Don't be scared, John. Don't be scared. Uh, your reaction to John's response to Tom Aspinall saying he should be stripped of the belt.
3: I mean, I'm shocked. I'm down 2-0 because yet again Luke is wrong. Luke's out here saying the power is the most persuasive argument. Uh, the most persuasive argument is small words. Luke, you used a lot of big words. I don't even want to get into that. Our, our audience can't, can't digest those. This is not morning combat, you know, or it is. This is This, this is BC's people here. And the small words are, John is scared don't be scared homie john we all know what's going on man you want to fight this old man as luke pointed out with his big flowery language this old dude who can't walk right anymore like you just want to fight him because it it gives you a bump you feel get to feel good about yourself because you know that you've you fought once in the last five years basically and that was against zero gone who obviously matched up quite well for you You're not it. You're getting old. You're feeling it in your bones. You see this young buck and you're like, I don't have to fight him. I'm not going to do it. Floyd Mayweather made a hell of a career doing this maneuver. So I, I understand it. But here's the problem, John. I'm speaking directly to you. This isn't about Luke. This isn't about anything else. I've given you this message before. I hope eventually it gets through to you. And so you'll stop sending these tweets. Your legacy depends on this fight, John, because I personally, and I know many others out there, they've joined the cause We could never call you GOAT because our GOAT could not be a man who's scared and you're so clearly scared of Tom Aspinall. So if you want to have the legacy that you think you deserve, stop trying to fight this old geriatric man. Stop trying to commit elder abuse. Nobody's into that. Fight the young dude who's going to be quite (laughs) good. Well, look, as a person who hates Stipe, I'm kind of into it too. But I'm far more interested in watching you fight Tom Aspinall and proving the shit you're saying because you're talking about how uh, all these dudes, you know, that bunch of whole guys coming up and nobody's ever been me. Prove it again. Prove it again or retire. Those are the two choices. But you don't get to stand there and be like all these young guys talking all this greasiness and then not fight them. Like that's just not how this goes. So, John, don't be scared. That's it. That's the only thing. Don't be scared, John.
5: I I, I will trick. say this, if I if I you may ask, like
3: this dude just, taking this fucking fight.
5: <laughs> I'll say this. if I might just add one thing to Jed's point, which is like, you know, I'm not the kind of guy who's like, I'm not gonna. I don't know his motivations, but I'll just say this: if his move to heavyweight was. All those years off where he could have fought Francis and didn't fights gone and then doesn't fight Aspinall and just fights Miocic. So the only fights were a 40 plus Miocic, you know, truly at the end of his run and then a well-matched gone and the gone fights nice. It's a good win, but like you didn't fight Aspinall or you didn't fight Francis when you had an opportunity to do so. It's like. You definitely didn't fight the toughest guys, whether it was by hook or by crook, you can decide. But if it comes to that, it was absolutely not the very best at that era when he had an opportunity to do so. It's just just not reality.
3: I didn't even so, bring that point yeah. up, too, which is like John acting all sanctimonious about this belt. There's a big word for you, Luke. Like as if mm. this belt's real. I've been called that a time or two. <laughs> Like, ah, people asking me to release my belt. You mean the fake belt you got because the UFC didn't want to pay Francis? Yeah, it'd be okay if you walked away from the fake ass belt. It's fine. So, look, why, like,
4: I, I think you two speak for everybody. We want to see Jones fight Aspinall. Like, the hardcore MMA fan base does not want to see the Stepe fight. Now, so, so why the hell is Dana, like, so steadfast on this fight? Is this just his Boston stubbornness? Is this just him believing this just does better business cuz it probably does more pay revives than asphalt fight. I'm not here to deny that. Maybe we're just trying to milk the last little bit out of Stipe. Like, why is this the why do we have to have this fight? Why is this the fight we have to make?
5: We don't. There's no there's no reason why we have to. You're asking like what would be Dana's motivation? I'm being dead serious about this. This is obviously just to to uh to piss off the uh, the people who don't like more than, you know, monosyllabic words. Just conjecture on my part, but um, I think two things, one, they probably believe however right or wrong, I think somewhat erroneously, but they believe that fight would do gangbusters at the box office. I do think it would do well, but this idea that it's like such a coveted matchup that nothing else could take its place, especially when you're getting $25 million site fees at, you know, in, in fight Island. I mean, Jesus Christ, that's a ton of money. Um, I just don't really believe that that's a very compelling argument. The one thing that no one's really brought up that I kind of considered you Dana legitimately was always bothered by how this is true, man, even when he had his issues with John, he was kind of riding with this. He hated how John was cheated out of his win over Matt Hamill because of the elbowing. Now you could actually decide that the rule is stupid, or you know how much that should have been enforced as a DQ versus anything else or whatever, but you know, it went out as a loss on his record. I kind of wonder if they are wanting to do him a solid at the end of his run. and by the way, like oh, they would never do John a solid. They've done John eight gazillion solids over the year, including moving his rematch with Gustafson to a new state on a week's notice and being like, hey, that's just a thing we're going to do for some of our A-list guys. I honestly wonder if they worry that like if he fought Aspinall, if it's his last fight, if he'd go out on an L and it kind of like crumble the whole facade because you can at least say, oh, well, the loss to Hamill was not supposed to be a loss. Like if he had a real loss to Aspinall, it would be the you know the first legitimate one, although I go back and say Dominic Reyes beat him. But um uh, other than that it's just a belief in that fight but i i honestly don't believe they really think that that fight is so consequential for history it's it's just not
4: Jed, what do you think what why is there such a push for this from the brass when clearly the fans that you have and that are going to pay 80 bucks for everything maybe that's the answer we're just going to pay for it anyways let's try to get a few more casual buys like how there's no momentum for this fight at all. Zero for John Jones versus DiBei.
3: I think there's it's a bit of compounding factors here, right? So I think one part of it is probably a little bit of stubbornness. Like, this is the thing we we're going to do um, for the reasons. And at the time, like, I won't say that it was good, but it still did make at least a little more sense in the way that kind of these fights take shape. But now with this delay, it makes no sense. And so there's probably a little bit of stubbornness. There's probably the belief that this does better business. I am super not sure about that, honestly. Like, who stipe is a star, I guess, but like he has never been a massive paper view draw. He's been a solid one, but like John is the A-side. John will bring the people that would watch this fight anyway. Like who is tuning into this fight because steep is in versus just John fighting. I really don't think there's a lot. And frankly, not to toot my own horn. I've given them like a thousand pieces of promo shit to put up and be like, Hey, Hey, this is the fight people think John Jones is finally going to get beaten and they could put the, you know, the dark menacing, this guy's talking shit and wants to kill the UFC like they did to AK and be like, John can't win. He's scared. You could build a promo to get at least the same number of people to watch this as Stipe because also I think we all recognize that Tom Aspinall is a future star. He is a budding star. So I, I think that there's that idea. I think that idea is incorrect though and – Maybe Luke's right. Like maybe there's a little bit they want to throw John a bone here. But I think honestly, legitimately, the biggest reason to me and then no one will admit is because this is the way to get John to fight because I don't think John will fight anybody else. I think John had a very clear idea. He would have taken the Francis fight probably, though I I in general don't believe fighters are afraid to fight other than John right now who's obviously terrified. Uh, it, <laughs> It – there are better explanations, but it is very coincidental that John was only ready to fight at heavyweight when Francis bounced. <laughs> Again, not saying he was scared. That is an interesting coincidence. I still think he would have taken that fight, and his idea was I'll fight Francis, maybe I'll fight Stipe, and then be done. Francis left for greener, better pastures, and so he just swapped in Siorgan to get the belt. He'll fight Stepe, and he's done. If the UFC comes to John with Tom Aspinall, he's not taking it. Like if the UFC pivots their position, it's like we we no longer care. If Stipe retires suddenly out of nowhere, John's, I just don't think John's going to take it. And so I think the push on this fight is this is the only way to get John to fight again because neither John nor Stipe will fight anyone else. They are both intent on ending their careers here. And if we're honest about that, then take the fucking belt off of man. Like y- you've done it t- this past year several times. That This fight does not need a belt to be significant in whatever ways it is significant. So just take the belt off him. If he chooses to come back and he chooses to fight Tom Aspinall, I'll eat my hat. But I, that's not what's going to happen. So let Tom Aspinall be the champion. Let him fight the guys who need to. Let's have this division moving in a meritocratic way. And John and Stipe can do their little side quest You know, whenever the hell they come to that resolution.
4: Yeah, that fight doesn't need a belt anyways. It doesn't. Just do the fucking fight. You, you don't need a title. Just
3: do the greatest of all time belt or some dumb shit. Like who cares?
4: There you go. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, and shout out to Tom Aspinall for his response on Twitter, which was like, "You're right, John. I'm sorry." And that's it. Just five words, and I laughed hysterically when I saw that. So uh, let's we'll see what happens at heavyweight. It's gonna be Sh- interesting. Should have been
3: five oh. words. Should have been, "Don't be scared, homie, John." <laughs> that should have been the five words he got. <laughs> that would have been the uh, only response I would have given him. Don't be scared, homie.
4: Yes. Well, let's move on to round four. The point for round three goes to Jed Mishu. Don't be scared of job. Two to one. Guys, nice join
3: ago. the movement. We're going to gaslight John Jones into taking this fight. Let's go. All
2: right
4: Well, I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time on round four, but, I mean, there's a couple of interesting things that are happening on Saturday. Uh, UFC Vegas 83, or as I have dubbed it, UFC Shang Vegas. Of course, this is supposed to be the Shanghai card. Got moved to the Apex instead of happening at 4 a.m. Eastern time. Now we're getting a 7.30 p.m. Eastern time start with a 10 p.m. main card. headlined by Song Yidong versus Chris Gutierrez. Jed, this is a tremendous co-main event for pretty much any fight night card you could put together, but look, we're getting five rounds. Are, these are two really solid bantamweights. Song Dong is young, hungry, on a good little run right now. Proved he can hang with some of the best in the, in the world. Chris Gutierrez has been looking real good. He's only got two losses in the UFC. One was his first fight, entering the promotion. The, one, the second one was to Pedro Munoz. This is an interesting fight. A wide betting line. Not the ideal apex he made event, but it's pretty solid. What do you think of this main event? Because this is a two fight card, if we're being honest. But where are we at here? Ooh,
3: I disagree. I just think more? this main card is this main card sneaky decent. Like it's okay. for an Apex card, this main card's quite good. Like because Apex is just Ooh. the trash collector of UFC fight cards. Like this is just where they throw in their leftovers into some stew and hope people will buy it. You know, like that's, that's just how this goes. The Anthony Bourdain fight cards. This card's actually got some some spots here that are decent. Uh, I love the main event. I don't think it's a main event. Um, but that being said, I love that it's five rounds. Like Chris Gutierrez, Song Yedong. Bantamweight is the second best weight class in the sport. If you match up two dudes in the top 20, which is what this is, arguably higher depending on how you feel about Chris Gutierrez. This fight's going to deliver. It's going to be quite fun, and it having more time to play out appropriately is... I'm, I'm never going to be upset about that because these type of dudes deserve 25 minutes to settle up. So this main card is, like, this main event, again, it is low on name value, but this is Apex. This is... that That's just not what we're doing at the Apex these days anymore, or ever, frankly. And uh, the co-main event's good. Well... Good is relative, but the co-made event has more name value. Um, in Anthony Smith, Khalil Roundtree's on a great run, violent. Um, and I think like look, lightweight bout on this, Prost, Jamie Malarkey is a fun little scrap. The Bantamweight, uh, like flyweight weight fight, right? Because Tim Elliott step in and on short notice getting Sumoderji. If that was not short notice, I'd be quite into it. It still sort of takes a little bit off it, but uh, and then look, Iron Turtle, like this main card is actually. As far as these things go, good. And we got Tatsuya Tyra, who is still one of the very best prospects in the entire sport, is going on the prelim. So this is a better Apex card than we usually get. Uh, and one I was prepared to come into this week insulting, and then I left being like, ah, it's not that bad. All right.
5: Luke, I mean, you agree? Not, not, not Yeah, that not bad? that good, though. Not that good. Um, well, I'll say this. Apex. Actually... <laughs> Yeah, for the I mean, you're, you you got a grade on a curve. I'll say this: remember, it was supposed to be Song Yudong versus Pyotr Yan, and then that whole thing blew up. Uh, in fact, it was supposed to be uh, uh, the, the the co-main event. Uh, I think Smith's filling in on short notice, and then I even believe Sumaderezi was supposed to be, be fighting Alan Nascimento, and so you get Tim Elliott on short notice. There's like a bunch of substitutions, so this isn't even. What they tried to roll out, even in Shanghai, just the whole thing has kind of fallen apart. But getting back to Song Yedong versus Chris Gutierrez, 26 years old versus 32. Uh, I got to tell you, man, Bantamweight keeps getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Figgy moving up in his fight against Rob Fawn. I didn't think he was going to look as good as he did. He looked tremendous. And Song Yedong is kind of the like respected but sort of forgotten contender in this space. He has the win over Ricky Simone, which I thought he looked the best he's ever looked. Great boxing in the pocket. Um, he has good cardio. He, I think in general, pretty good scrambling and decent takedown defense. But if you go back and watch the Corey Sandhagen fight, it was only until he got busted up over the eye that that fight really turned against him. He was giving Sanhagen everything he could handle and then some. In fact, I thought he won the first round. Um, you could even argue he maybe won the second as well. So like he was doing really well before that. This guy is ready for a big step up. Gutierrez, we know, dynamic kicking game obviously leg kicking in particular so to me what's so interesting about this main event is I think even if Song fought poorly, he could still win because of the you know the array of tools and physicality that he has. But what's interesting is that Gutierrez is a particular kind of problem, and we saw Pedro Munoz solve it. But he also fires back a lot of leg kicks. Song Yadong does not. So watching what Song Yadong does do, assuming he wins, in order to problem solve here, I actually think will tell you a lot about what he can do once he really starts tackling the upper end of this division. And so for that reason, I actually kind of like it, Anthony Smith. How many fights does he have left? I don't know. Khalil Rountree hasn't really fought someone who has like aggressive takedowns and good jujitsu. And I know Smith's been injury prone. And he's not like a Dagestani wrestler, but he does have a good ground game. And obviously he's got some wins over Gustafson and I think even, um, uh, no time. What the hell's his name? Uh, uh, Oh God. The fuck is- to me. But Uzdemir. Uzdemir, he's got wins over those guys and some other ones via sub. He's got a good ground game, so that's kind of interesting. Sumiderji versus Tim Elliott. Tim Elliott is going to have the takedown almost whenever he wants it. We haven't seen Sumiderji since the fight against Schnell, which was that crazy round two back and forth. He's got a great kickboxing style, pretty bad takedowns. So that one might be it, but he's got good reversals and a good you know, submission game. So there's a few gems on this one for what it is, an apex card. I don't love it. Uh, I'm probably not going to like watch it live, but I will watch it for sure.
4: Yeah, Ted Stewart's hire is
5: really good. I'm excited to
4: see what he can do. He's had kind some bad sick. luck getting in that octagon. We get Garcia Costa back on there. You know that's going to be absolute mayhem. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not too bad. Andre Muniz, uh, Andre Muniz, Muniz who
5: has kind of Andre Muniz, who fell apart against uh, Brendan Allen and Paul Craig. Those guys fought each other. He's back coming around to see what he's got. Uh, like I said, there's a few. There's a few little. That's just a plus
3: matchmaking.
5: On
2: Let's, yes. pick a, what?
3: let's pick a let pick maybe A plus matchmaking. Junior oh, and Park, okay. a terrific overachiever versus Andre Muniz, a terrific underachiever. Terrific underachiever, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It's a good <laughs> point. This A plus. Dude, uh Talita Alson, uh Alan Carr, Alan, Saar, Alan I'm not Carr, sure yeah. how to pronounce it. It's good. Yeah. yeah. Eight billion Against times against Hayan Dos Santos, who
5: was, the, yeah. who was the who was the who was the Invicta Atomweight champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, like that's yeah. This as far as this is honestly maybe the best Apex card they've had this year. Like it's, it sucks that it's going to start at 10 p.m. or whatever ungodly hour it'll start on the East Coast. But uh, and it's also quite funny to think that this was the fight card they were prepping for Shanghai because there are yeah. three Chinese people and then like, <laughs> I don't know, Nazareth Hackfrost, Jamie Malarkey is a classic Shanghai matchup. Like I don't know, I don't know what's going on here, but it's not bad. It's really not bad Apex card.
4: Yeah. I I don't like when I say it's a two fight card, I say it not that you won't be entertained watching this card, but in terms of like storylines and stakes, it's a two fight card. It just is. Um, Anthony Smith, Anthony Smith beats Khalil Roundtree. Like, I'm so interested to see what happens there because He could get a freaking title shot if, like, you can't bench Alex Pereira until July. He's got to fight. I don't, and there's beef there. They could absolutely unbench Anthony Smith for that fight just to keep Pereira busy. You're trying to get him over as a potential star. You can't bench him till Jamal Hill can fight. So we got to do something.
3: Also, we should definitely, if Cleo Roundtree wins, he should get a title fight because Cleo Roundtree, (laughs) as I have dubbed him, is the glory kickboxer killer. He is, I believe, 3-0 and o against dudes who came from glory.
5: Okay, but the yeah. Dustin Jacoby win is very— it doesn't matter.
3: W's a W. W's a W for the narrative here. <laughs> now he gets to face the end boss of glory kickboxers in Alex Pereira for the belt. Sign me up. I'm in. I'm super in on this. All right. I, I actually you- care more about this fight now than I did before. So it's like, oh, Andy Smith's old. He's probably going to get jawed. But now I at least have— vibes
5: i just i just worry he's gonna get injured you know what i mean like because roundtree is just like fucking wow just hacking people man. to death in the first round smith's almost 36 man that's a tough place to be against a guy like that i don't know we'll see how that it's one goes
3: 36 going on 80 like he has <laughs> not Dude, lately, I,
1: had, you know? I had
5: a i was at a hotel bar once and i was talking to anthony smith this was actually uh, in my hometown i remember the Overeem versus uh Rosenstrike card remember that one and, uh, Smith was there and I forget what happened with his hand. He had some kind of infection or whatever of, of a, a surgery complication and the doctor like joked, Oh, you know, if we remove two of your fingers, you can actually get back out there quicker. <laughs> and Anthony Smith was like, yeah, remove them. Just take them. I don't, It was actually his pinky and then his ring finger. He was like, I don't even need him. If it's going to help me get back. Like that dude's level of injury tolerance is I've never seen anything quite That's, like that. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I'm relatively
3: confident. You need those fingers. <laughs> those
5: I know it's like he's acting like I'm like. I guess you could still play pool with him, you know, if you had just like, the three or whatever. But yeah. you know, so, you know maybe, maybe you get a nicer parking
3: spot. I don't know. Pinky,
5: <laughs> dude's a
4: savage. Dude is a savage. We'll see if he can defeat Khalil Roundtree. He's just been buzzsawing people. Gonna in be an interesting fight. All right, the point for round four goes to. The Prince of Positivity, Jed Mashu. It's two to two. Oh no! That means, that means who could
3: have seen this coming? It never happens oh, no. on this show. It never, ever,
4: ever don't call happens a comeback.
3: Momentum, the big mo <laughs> right here. The big mo
4: right there. Uh, so that means we're gonna do the knockout round. One question. Each of these competitors have sixty seconds to give their response, and then we'll take it to the peeps. Poll will be up on the chat. You guys can vote on who you think wins. Casey will come on and announce the winner. So Jed, uh, don't be scared. You going first? I definitely don't get
3: to choose. He beat me last time. But you were the most recent winner, so... And you beat BC last time. I I did beat BC last time. What a heroic effort. Uh, I'll go... I'll be scared. I won't go first. (laughs) It's not going to matter, but I I will go second.
4: You're going second. All right, We'll go over to Luke. Luke, obviously... Uh, UFC 296 is next week it is a loaded card two good title fights there's a lot of intriguing storylines so I'm going to cheat a little bit didn't really know where I was going to go with this but we had a very interesting question on our Twitter show this morning Uh, to you Luke looking at this lineup and things could obviously change but right now what is the most compelling or intriguing non-title fight for UFC 296 and why one minute on the clock go
5: go uh, well, an easy answer would be Shavkat Rachmanov. 17 fights, 17 wins, 17 finishes. If he polishes off Wonder Boy, he probably gets a title shot. Maybe Bilal Muhammad. I don't know. But how can you answer anything other than Patty Pimblett versus Tony Ferguson? Tony Ferguson, after putting himself through Navy SEAL Hell Week for reasons we, like literally, not a human on earth understands, heading into this contest after multiple losses, multiple stoppages in most of those cases, against a guy who a lot of people all of a sudden just don't really like, but does have have some ground ability, but here's the funny part about it, right? Everyone's kind of sad about Tony, and everyone doesn't really understand this. No one is going to get a bigger pop if they win on that night than Tony Ferguson. Not Colby, not Leon, not Shafcott, not, not the flyweights, nobody. Tony Ferguson will tear the roof off that bitch if he somehow finds a way to get a victory for that reason alone, and how it would soothe the fan base. You have to pick that contest what a moment in mma that would be
4: that would just be right on brand with the rest of 2023 if that happens so uh jed maybe you're regretting going second on this one but maybe you have a totally different answer of course we have a a new fight on this card uh josh emmett no longer fighting he's now fighting bryce mitchell on short notice not diego lopez i was hoping for diego lopez but bryce mitchell stepping in uh same question for you jed What is the most compelling and intriguing non-title fight for next weekend's UFC 296 event? And go.
3: I'm not regretting it because like he did so many times this episode, Luke's just dead ass wrong. Like, yeah, (laughs) let let me tell you who does it. Like why that's not intriguing. Cause I'm not interested in watching snuff films. Tony Ferguson is a thousand hasn't won in 18 years and it's going to be the saddest end possible. Oh yeah. If he wins cool. If I had wheels, I'd be a wagon Luke. That's not what's going to happen. That's just going to make everybody sad next Saturday. You know what is interesting and fun? It's the low-hanging fruit, but that's the juiciest, baby. It's Shavkat versus Wonderboy because Shavkat, I think he's the real deal. I think that this guy is the future champion of this weight class. As soon as he gets the opportunity, he has got to beat Stephen Thompson. Stephen Thompson is a style that has historically been really tricky for all sorts of people, so it's actually an interesting fight. And what if he loses? Because if he's win, Luke's right from earlier. He gets a title fight, but if he loses, does Wonderboy get to fight Leon Edwards? Is it finally Bilal's time? What the- is going on at welterweight with the outcome of this fight?
4: Yeah, I love the Ian Gary Vicente Luque fight too. Ian Gary's been in the news enough for tremendous reasons. People have a lot of feelings about Ian Gary these days. I don't want
5: to talk about Ian Gary. But I'm, I'm so tired of that story. I like. It's, can I tell you like my level of interest in that story? I didn't have much to begin with. I have even less now. You know? Right.
4: But basically, Ian's going to say a lot of things. He's going to build things up. People are going to have feelings about him. And if he goes out and just Runs over Vicente Luque. None of that shit matters, man. You go in there and you get a win. That solves everything, and that changes a lot of perception. And who knows? Who knows where he goes if he goes out there and just melts Vicente Luque? That would be super impressive. So cast your votes right now. He uh, Bilal. Is, it Luke? is it? Oh my god! She'll make Bilal
3: fight him. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Poor Bilal, man. This Tell so me crazy. I'm wrong. This—that's why this main event. That's why this Leon Edwards fight, Colby Covington fight needs to happen. I don't even care the result. It just needs to happen so we can make moves. We can move this division along. This division has done nothing in 2023. Absolutely nothing. It's insane. Shavkat fought in March. We haven't seen him since. We've seen some people emerge, like Ian a little bit, where he fought, at least fought Neil Maggie. Well, Gilbert Burns fought in May. It seems like that fight happened a decade ago. Like, because nothing has happened in this division. There's been no movement at all. So UFC 296 is going to be a very important event. So cast your votes. uh, little programming notes while basically wasting time for the votes to pile up. Uh, we'll do heck of morning tomorrow morning. We'll have a preview show tomorrow for UFC Shang Vegas, 1 p.m. Eastern. We'll do the normal rigamaroo for the coverage for throughout, throughout that card and then next week obviously ufc 296 lots going on karate combats get a big event with benson henderson anthony pettis uh jose will be on site in las vegas uh jake paul's got a boxing match against andre august um that's where i'm gonna be this week so i'm um, wait is that this week i thought that was next week next friday next friday next friday eight days eight days the day before UFC 296, so uh, so that's happening as well. So it's gonna be a very busy week here. Uh, also, so the last tuned.
5: Showtime boxing event, December sixteenth, same day as uh, UFC 296. David Morrell Jr. is back.
4: There you go. A lot happening. Okay. Big news from PBC. I'm sure you saw that, Luke, with Amazon. I did
5: it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, some uh, other big I, news. I, I, guys. I, oh, please, please. I was just gonna say they they usually do like double or triple the amount of shows the 12 to 14 that they announce. So. I don't have any inside scoop, but I'm definitely expecting to hear that there's going to be another deal with somebody uh, because that's not enough shows. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, that was one of the things that stood out to me
4: as well. And uh, AK Lee, Rejoice, The Ultimate Fighter returning in 2024. Uh, oh. I genuinely
3: assumed That that was going to be our, our question You were going to be like Who should coach tough I thought that'd be around
5: Dude I, I actually That's met the, a guy I was at, I was at a uh, MMA gym relatively recently And I met a guy And they were like Oh uh, the person who introduced me Was like oh he was in the Ultimate Fighter And I felt bad Because I was like I don't, I don't mean any slight by this But I just didn't see it dude I just didn't You know what I mean Like I didn't watch And he was like oh, I don't know who has <laughs> Honesty Honestly, you
4: would have got a Real point on this sickos. show. Uh, Casey, do we have enough votes? Are we do.
3: we do I need to oh, waste more time? I or know are we who at? should coach tough. Who should coach tough? John Jones and, and our boy Tommy Aspinall,
0: obviously. Mm. That would be cool. Yeah, but coaches on tough don't actually fight, so
3: uh, not oh. anymore. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> they will sit and wait desperately for the money grab to maybe one day happen though.
4: Uh, Casey, who wins?
0: We have a winner. Okay. Your winner today with 58% of the votes is... And still undefeated... Luke! Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah! I was expecting. Yeah, I was man. expecting
5: to take the L. I was expecting to take the L. This is great.
4: Jed, you uh, were looking like, to say something. You were look like, Jed. You were looking like Clay Guida up there. You knew you lost, but yeah. you're still jumping up and down, thinking you were going to win. Like at least look, showing it the me,
3: It took me like six tries to beat BC. I think I can get Luke in five.
5: Yeah, All right. You need to be. That's the over before. under.
4: Uh, Luke, please. You uh, you get the floor here.
5: Hey, thanks everyone for watching. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know what? Jed is, uh, he has a law degree, but he's not from New Mexico. So instead of better call Saul, I'm just going to say better call y'all. That's that's Jed's new fucking yokel ass nickname for being from the worst part of Georgia that he is. But he is a wonderful guy. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, just catch my stuff. YouTube.com slash Luke Thomas or YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. Thanks everyone. Woo! all
4: right luke. luke thomas everybody he's got a he's got a bolt so he may just kind of roll out but uh jed your thoughts here
3: uh it's fine i'll get him eventually just give me enough shots at it Uh new episode of damn dropped damn on mark hunt released this morning so make sure you go check it out it's our longest episode ever we get pretty deep in the weeds and uh it's it's really fun at a great time so, yeah, you know, I knew it was going to happen. Still got to figure out the range. You know, I'm I'm Max Holloway in here. I, I need like three more shots at Volkanovsky and we'll we'll get it settled once I kind of figure out the pieces.
4: Yes, I'm saving that episode for my drive to Orlando on Wednesday. And I figured it oh, will get Luke's me there. Luke's still here the
3: well, Yeah, he's still here. I think about this semi-frequently. Do you remember at the meetup uh, we did for MMA fighting in like 2016 where you roasted me uh, for like five straight minutes on using the word yonder? Because Oh, I, my God.
5: Hey, there, y'all, used- there's a dog stuck in the fence <laughs> down yonder. Somebody need to go fetch him.
3: We were out like at a bar, and I said yonder, and Luke just laid into me, and now every time I use it, I think <laughs> of you. <laughs>
5: I mean, yonder is only one of those words that you can like, you'd even know unless you've been like knifed in a fucking, uh, Zaxby's in Brunswick, Georgia. I mean, that's, that's, that's who uses the word yonder. Oh my God. It's a great word. Uh, Hit the music, Casey. We are done. Uh,
4: Wow. What a show this has been. Uh, Thank you to Luke for for hopping in here. Thank you to Jed for making his 8,000th appearance on the program. Uh, 8,001, probably happening next week as well. Big shout out to Casey on the ones and twos. The iconic voice of Esterlin will take you home. I am Mike Heck. Back next week on Between the Links. Good night, everybody.
2: Love (laughs) y'all. This has been Between the Links. An MMA
3: fighting production on the Vox Media Network. When the hell that,
0: <laughs> The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code